Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I am your host, Patrick Honeywell. My guest today, all the way from Australia, is Wes Lambert, CEO of Restaurant and Catering Australia, the national industry association representing the interests of more than 47,000 restaurants, cafes, and catering businesses across Australia. Wes is here today to share some insights from his new book, Saving Hospitality One Venue at a Time, The Seven Pillars to Pivoting Your Business Through a Crisis. Hey, Wes, how are you today? Hey, great to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on this show today because I've just recently started following you. I'm just kind of blown away. You have an amazing background, huge responsibilities, and a great position as CEO of Restaurant and Catering Australia. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about uh, your history and the fascinating journey getting where you are today. And then I'm going to introduce a new book that you just put out. Well, absolutely. I'm happy to give you my elevator pitch. And how I ended up back in Australia the second time around for this role. (laughs) So here we go. I think I can do that one in about a minute and 20 seconds. So my first job at 14, I faked an ID to work at a Wendy's restaurant flipping hamburgers Mm -hmm. in San Antonio, Texas, and did that for a summer to help my mother. Then through high school, I uh, worked as a waiter and then in retail uh, through college, after two and a half years, I couldn't decide if I wanted to be a physician or in business. So I actually volunteered for the army as a combat medic. I was uh, stationed in Germany, Germany, deployed to Macedonia as a UN peacekeeper, then back to Germany and then uh, to Kosovo as a combat medic, then back to university, studied business, investment banking and restaurant capital, managed nightclubs. Then I built the largest nightclub in Atlanta. 70,000 square feet in three buildings on 1.4 acres of land called Compound. Then sold that, moved to Thailand for a year, had a pub there, some land, moved to Australia, ran into a gentleman who had a a medium-sized restaurant group and wanted to grow. So I took that company public, IPO, prospectus, shareholders. We grew the company through the GFC, uh, had a rights issue. And then partnered with Jamie Oliver and brought Jamie's Italian to Australia, New Zealand. We sold out to uh, another group in Australia and uh, moved back to the U.S. and formed a company that was in clothing manufacture and a few other businesses. And then recently just moved back to Australia for this role as the head of the Industry Association, which is similar to the National Restaurant Association in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the Restaurant and Catering Industry Association Australia represents uh, over 47,000 businesses pre-COVID and certainly has been a wild ride over the past year. Well, I think they got you in there just in time to help during these difficult times. Well, uh, throughout all of that, uh, I was also able to get my CPA. Hmm. Uh, I'm a chartered company secretary. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there for a while, I was uh, the CFO of a company and the uh, chief administration officer of the company secretary. I've reported to public company boards, and um, had KPMG as, as an auditor and been as compliant as you get uh, down to you know, running my own small business in both hospitality and in um, retail and, and other things. During the pandemic, between May and July of this year, mm-hmm. I wrote this book. 
So what motivated you to write the book? Well, I, in my life, I'd always wanted to write a book. And oftentimes, you do not uh, build character in a crisis, you show character. Mm. And uh, I figured that if I was ever going to be able to help uh, the hospitality industry, uh, this was the time. Mm. And my unique life story, really from such an early age uh, in hospitality and on through this position, I've been helping hospitality businesses and, and running them really my whole life in some way or another, mm -hmm. um, whether that was administratively or financially or um, managing and owning, or whether that was working in them. And so I knew that the hospitality industry, especially in Australia, would benefit and would certainly um, use a resource that would help them to refocus. You know, I know that there's lots of trade books out there that talk about you know, about specific things in, in restaurants and restaurant design and, and, you know, the financials of restaurants, very, very in-depth. So I wanted to come up with a, a book that was, was easy to read, that could be read, you know, in one sitting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about 146 pages, um, you know, five by nine. So it, it isn't a, a big textbook. But you're not the first person to tell me that they've uh, read it in one sitting and that they've looked at it and said, wow, I didn't know that you knew all of this. <laughs> you know, I think, we, I think we all don't know what we don't know, don't know mm -hmm. what we know. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when you outline it and when you put it on, uh, on a page, uh, it really rolled out quite quickly. You know, I was working at the peak of the pandemic here in Australia in you know, April, May, June. I was working... 10, 12 hours a day in the office. Uh, I was in the office the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, there were very few people here, but I was. Mm -hmm. And was writing on the nights and weekends and editing and you know, sending it off to the editor and, and revising. And uh, it took uh, about 60 days from deciding I wanted to do it until it was ready to uh, typeset, proofread and typeset. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, with modern publishing, once that uh, typesetting was done, <clears throat> I had my first two box of books, four days later. And in writing this book, I tried to tell a story at the beginning and end of each chapter so that it was relatable, so that anyone reading it could go, oh, I've done, that's happened to me before. Or, <laughs> oh, I tried that pivot or, you know, or you know, I didn't try that pivot, maybe I should. The seven pillars to pivoting your business through a crisis, and that's in the book, Saving Hospitality One Venue at a Time. So number one was finding a trusted mentor. Well, ultimately, many of us, we get kind of stuck in a rut. We're listening to our business partners or our spouses. We're listening to our friends that may have, you know, may be totally outside of our industry. Or we'll listen to our accountant and our lawyer who have been giving us the same advice for a long time. Mm. And what I like to, to say is that it, it is sometimes better to look outside of those close connections for a mentor. It can be in the same industry, but, but it is oftentimes better if it is someone who's in a complementary industry. So let's say if you're in hospitality, maybe having a mentor that's in retail or mm -hmm. other, some other type of services or product-based business, really to ensure that you're thinking outside the box. I know that we can often surround ourselves with yes men and women, and there's a lot of groupthink that still goes on. I know that term's a little bit outdated, but I, I find that it happens so often, especially now, you know, no, no one wanting to stick their head up and make decisions that might seem odd or seem very controversial in a, in a COVID environment. But ultimately, it's about having those trusted mentor or mentors, people that will help you to think outside the box and also think outside of 
the risk aversion that you're, you know, the people that are right around you may have. Mm, um, gotcha. we, we are in very, very unique times. It is a time that if you're going to save your hospitality business, mm-hmm. if you're going to survive and thrive after the crisis, you are going to have to have taken tremendous risk. And that risk might be that you walk away from your business, but mm. you need to take tremendous risk to survive through a crisis. That is the nature of the kind of stressful situation that a crisis brings. Mm. And it's helpful if you have people around you that uh, may have gone through either a similar crisis in their career or in their business, whether that's something that's more localized, like a divorce or the breakup of a, of a business partnership, or you know, maybe legislation in your town or in your city or in your state. You know, there are other things besides a pandemic. You know, I know there's bushfires going on in California now. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's a crisis in and of itself that's outside of the pandemic. So it is very important. There are mentors. There are people that have faced it before and can help you to see outside of your comfort zone. So number two on the pillars listed is understand your finances. Well, you know, ultimately what I find is that there's many small business owners that have sort of gotten that set and forget situation where they are surviving or they're they're making a living on their business or, you know, they're doing okay Mm -hmm. or even to quite well who will not look at their P&Ls or not look at their financials because they've just been doing things that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they may send a file, a computer file, a, an accounting file to their accountant a month, once a month or once a quarter. But, you know, I, I still hear stories of people bringing a box of receipts and a box of paperwork to their accountants at the end of the year. Mm. And, you know, what, what's very, very important is that you need to be running a monthly p mm-hmm. You know, and of course... Many of the restaurant groups and and larger chains and the more modern groups are certainly doing that. They're certainly running their numbers. But with the hospitality industry being number two behind the government in the U.S., a nearly $900 billion industry that is primarily made up of independent restaurateurs, I promise that there's (laughs) millions and millions of restaurateurs that are not getting a monthly P&L and mm. wouldn't necessarily know if their business could or could not survive a sustained downturn mm. that are hoping for the best mm-hmm. and not realizing that you know there is that break even where mm-hmm. even if you cut labor or if you cut your expenses, your operating expenses to the bone, that if you don't have revenue of X, you will not be able to cover your fixed labor and your fixed expenses like rent. Mm -hmm. And without a good sense of your history, there's no way to deal with the present or the future. Wow. Okay. So number three, create a forecast to predict the future. And then you list five reasons why forecasting is critical for success. And that kind of goes in line with your finance side too, but you have to forecast. Look, forecasting, it can be very simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, once you figure out that break-even point, then you know, you know, I make you know, X percent on every dollar in incremental margin over my break even. Mm -hmm. But really, you you need to know if you can survive in a bad downturn or what revenue you need to actually be making a small profit. You know, I've spoken to many restaurateurs over the past seven months now who have said that they've followed these pillars, whether they got them from my book or or elsewhere, Mm -hmm. where they've actually... um, using a forecast based upon their past, let's say, six months or year of history, 
that they were able to modify their business so that they could future-proof through the peak of the pandemic and through the um, the crisis, mm-hmm. and that are looking forward to a recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, really, at the end of the day, your fixed expenses are fixed. You know, and you can cut some things, but those are easy to put on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can literally draw this on a piece of paper or <laughs> an Excel spreadsheet or whatever you're most comfortable with. And you know, if you know that you used to do, I don't know, ten thousand dollars a week in revenue, and you think you're going to do five. Well, then you literally can, by month, you can figure out in a very simple and linear way, will I make it six months, 12 months? And what cash flow extra do I need in order to actually keep my business afloat? Or is it an impossible situation and I need to be thinking how I'm going to exit the business? So pillar number four, make a plan and measure against it. It does meld well with the next pillar. But what many businesses during COVID decided is, you know what? It's cheaper for me to close temporarily, Mm. right? So you need to make your overall plan. So uh, pillar number four, making a plan. It is very similar to pillar number five, which is the section about revenue streams. And in this section, you need to decide what you're actually going to do with your business. Many restaurateurs actually decided that they were going to close during the pandemic because overall it was cheaper for them to be closed because maybe they owned their premise or uh, another situation or maybe they were able to secure some funding. Or if you're actually going to continue through and push through the crisis and deciding how you're going to. So how means... You know, do your customers want you to continue doing what you're doing? You know, do you need to to become more technological? Do you want to become more convenient for your customers? And what is your brand famous for? What is it, you know, what is will your brand allow you to do? So if you're a fine dining restaurant, for example, you may find it very hard to pivot your business into takeaway or delivery. Mm. And you may want to preserve your fine dining brand until the crisis is over, mm-hmm. right? You, don't, you may not want to become a, a takeaway shop if, if you're a, a six-star silver service restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so it is important that you, you have that 30,000-foot plan mm-hmm. before you do anything, right? So you know your numbers, you know if you can survive or not, and you've, you've made a financial forecast, and you know, well, you know, I need this much revenue to keep running like I'm running. But then you need to decide, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to do that? Once you decide that you're going to step up and uh, change your business and become something else, that is where your you know, goes well into pivot number five, which is creating new streams of revenue. At the end of uh, my pillar number four and into pillar number five, I talk about being a jet engine. At the Beginning of World War II, all planes were propellers. All planes were (laughs) propeller driven. Mm -hmm. And in a very, very short period of time, almost all planes became jet engines to the Mm -hmm. point where by the end of the war and and into the end of the 40s, no one would have gotten on a propeller plane to fly over the ocean. So in a very, very short period of time, now there's nothing wrong with propellers. It's a great industry. There's still propeller planes today. But the majority are jets. And so as a business, when you are faced with adversity, you need to decide, am I going to be a jet engine 
Am I going to embrace modernization and technology and becoming what customers want? Or am I going to stay traditional, realizing that I might end up in a situation where I am no longer the norm, I am the exception? Mm. So in doing that, it is very scary to become a jet engine in a very (laughs) short period of time. I often say, you know, it's been a very long year this week. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because so many things are happening in such a very, very tight, tight time frame. And as you said, you know, there are lots and lots of revenue streams that have popped up. You know, you, you have the self-delivery, which is using an app to deliver food on your own. Many, many businesses were already using the large apps for delivery, you know, and you stopped on retail or wholesale or even an exporter. Well, if you have customers that are used to coming to your business for takeaway, and you're unable to seat them inside, you know, you can, you can become a grocery store, right? You can, as long as it's allowed in your city or town, mm-hmm. why not have things that your customers need because you can get them from your suppliers. Here in Australia, there was a toilet paper shortage and many restaurants that were able to get toilet paper wholesale in pallets were selling those along with other groceries and sundries mm. and some of their own packaged labeled food oh besides the hot food that people were coming to take away. And, you know, it just became part of their business model. And many of them have continued to provide groceries as a secondary source. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be so technological and and so Generation Z and and millennial. Sometimes you can just say, well, what do my customers need? Mm -hmm. You know, what are they coming to me for? They're coming to me for food. They're coming to me for beverage. What else can I give them? You know, uh, am I, can I sell some of my food or beverage online? Can I sell it to my competitors that are having a harder time? And exporting, you know, is it, is it possible for me to get an export license to export maybe some packaged food that I've, uh, you know, my menu that I now have correctly labeled and, and individually packaged? It's really about thinking outside the box. If you're a restaurant post-COVID and you don't have at least two or three additional revenue streams besides bums on seats dining, (laughs) you will find it very difficult to thrive and survive in a post-COVID society where, you know, third and fourth and fifth waves are certainly possible and where many consumers, up to a third of consumers, will be hesitant to be in crowded spaces for the next few years. Now, Wes, let me ask you something. So, Based on what you just mentioned, if things start to level off a bit, maybe they'll never be quite the same. You know, they they probably won't be for years, as you mentioned. But do you think that because people have done this pivot, if they follow some of your uh, advice and pivoted to a couple different revenue streams, once things level off, do you think that maybe they'll make more money in the future because they have uh, maybe a retail market, they're doing maybe a little bit of export. Maybe they didn't do self-delivery before, but they had to. And all of a sudden, now they got people coming in. Do not plan on stopping any of your new revenue streams Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, both Harvard and Oxford tell us that it takes about 66 days for a consumer's habits to change. And we've been in COVID for a lot longer than 66 days. So their habits have changed. You know, you you look at uh, the the top 10 brands in the world, you know, 10 years ago, they are certainly not the same as now. I know that Patrick, you and I might be slightly older, but 10 years ago, there was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. <laughs> there was no, there was no you know, <laughs> things that we we think about now that are a fabric of the marketing of our businesses mm-hmm. and really society in general. Things are coming so fast and furiously at us. 
it is very important that if your customer's habits have moved on from the traditional way that you used to feed them and provide them with beverages, please be prepared as a business owner that that's the new normal. And that mm. what that is going to affect is the um, commercial properties. You know, if any of you listening are in the commercial property space or uh, lease your venue or even potentially own it, high streets are now low streets. <laughs> Many major metropolitan areas and, and central business districts and popular tourist spots are now the least trafficked areas. You should not be continuing to pay high street rents if you're on a low street. Hmm, so that's a great point. It, 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 it certainly will, <laughs> you know, the whole industry is no longer the same as it was. Hmm. It's not going to go back to the way that it was. Suburban restaurants are much busier than, than metropolitan restaurants. The delivery model and the self-delivery and the, and the takeaway has increased exponentially. Businesses that, you know, before swore that they would never do it are now offering it as a revenue stream. They can't go back because their customers are now enjoying their product quality and their, and their service, but the consumers are getting it delivered the way that they want it. What's very important to understand is that once you begin to change your business, that you know, your staff, your suppliers, many of the people that you deal with, it'll be quite a shock to them and even your customers. Mm-hmm. So it is very important that as you pivot your business and as you try new things and you execute your plan, you know, that you're listening to the feedback of your staff, and your managers and of your customers on a regular basis, that you are ensuring that you're making micro changes when you need to, to ensure that you are heading down the right path. You know, you need to make sure that you don't rush too fast or that you, you try too many things at once. It is very, very important that as you execute your plan, that you're executing in a, in a way that's sustainable. And then into pillar seven, you need to make changes where necessary. Do not be afraid that if something doesn't work, if, it, if the pivot isn't, isn't right for you, if your customers don't like it, or if, or if you find that the pivot is cost more than, than the benefit, you know, we're in crisis and we're going to probably be in crisis, you know, for the coming months and years. Mm. And which leads to, you know, the final uh, sections of my book about not being afraid to throw in the towel. There's lots of um, famous business people who have had, certainly had rough times and, you know, and failed in their endeavors. Um, some of the more famous ones are, are Henry Ford and, and Oprah Winfrey and, and many, many more. There's, there's millions and millions of examples mm-hmm. of successful business people who have failed and then you know, in their last try, uh, you know, did very, very well. So walking away from a business is not failure. Failure is failing to see that what you're doing is not going to work right? Don't be afraid to end something. It's not quitting. Quitting is I'm going to walk away from this whole life and this career and this path. But realizing that the lease is wrong and you need to move venues or that the brand is wrong or the, or the offering is wrong for the new post-COVID society, mm-hmm. that's not quitting. Mm-hmm. That's embracing change and having the wherewithal and the courage to move forward. I will um, mention one more thing about the book, and that is a quote that uh, my grandfather, who started very early with uh, Frito-Lay uh, <laughs> in, in Texas and worked his way up quite high in the company and, and ran every Frito-Lay plant that existed in America at the time. And what he always said to me was, Wes, 
don't forget to keep your eye on the prize. And so I'm just going to keep my eye on the prize. That prize is helping the hospitality industry to be better. I really appreciate your time and thank you so much, Wes. Thank you, Patrick. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check it out at Believe.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.